This podcast is brought to you by the GRC Insights Division. I'm Lutz the Book, a sophomore at Northwestern University. I'm Vivian, also a sophomore at Northwestern University. And I'm Jason, a freshman at Northwestern University. To begin this podcast, I'd like to begin with an extremely interesting story that turned my school into a spiral at the beginning of COVID-19. So my principal, Mr. Timmerman, he was about to leave AISG, which was my school in China, for another job in Qatar at another international school in Qatar. So then in around January, he had to fly to Qatar for an interview, right? Because um, the other school wanted to see if he was the most qualified candidate for um, the presidency. So what happened was that when he was returning from that interview, instead of going back to Guangzhou, his flight was redirected to Wuhan. And the first day that it became news that the pandemic would um, reach like the entire China. At that time, it wasn't like a worldwide pandemic, but it was news that it was a very serious thing. And like, um, basically that was the day when China started to really mandate us um, to do a lot of things like wear a mask, socially distance and all of that. So it was an extremely interesting experience. And my principal personally told me that he was extremely freaked out by the entire accident. And um, it was just very terrifying for him to be in the center of this pandemic at the very beginning that has really, you know, been permeated throughout our lives. Yeah. That's a really interesting uh, experience, uh, Jason. Um, so experiences like these uh, allow us to discuss unique perspectives about COVID and how it's affected the lives of people very differently, um, depending on many factors, where they live, their age, their ethnicities, um, among other things. And so the focus of this podcast is really going to be um, a comparative uh, analysis of, of different people's perspectives um, and experiences during COVID. Um, and the three of us, given that we're students, uh, have been able to interact with um, many of our peers about um, their global experiences. Um, you know, they live abroad. Um, many of them live abroad. So we've been able to discuss with them about uh, unique experiences they've had and their perspectives reflecting back on, on what has happened um, in the past year. So I personally live in California. I've stayed home this entire fall quarter for uh, because of COVID. And basically, I haven't gone outside for the entire time, basically, except maybe a few times, very briefly, I made sure to wear my mask. And I was very careful about social distancing. And basically, um, everywhere kind of like requires you to wear a mask, or like it's closed. Like right now, I'm on vacation in Newport Beach with my family. And base and nothing is open. And um, yeah, like they don't even have any like water fountains open. So we have to like boil our own water. Yeah, uh, I'm from Ohio actually. So um, a lot of my experiences have been uh, pretty similar given that we're both in the US. Ohio's um, pretty bad in terms of COVID uh, currently. Um, and so like a lot of the things that uh, I've been able to do, uh, let's say like throughout most of 2019, like uh, dining in at restaurants, um, you know, hanging out with uh, large groups of people are no longer possible um, for me. Um, and they still are not um, as the pandemic continues. Um, so it's just something that we're seeing unfolding 
uh, we're not necessarily seeing it getting better as we see positive uh, rises in cases and problems with hospital capacity, among other things. Um, we see those pop up um, from time to time. Um, so a lot of the problems in the U.S. seem to be pretty consistent um, among uh, many of the states. I know on the East Coast, though, um, it's a little bit uh, comparatively better um, compared to many of the other states, like the Midwest and West Coast and the South. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been my experience um, from Ohio. So my experience has been quite different from that of Mujtaba and Vivian for the past eight months or so, but quite similar from a period in January 2020 to around April 2020. So during that time, well, I guess the regulations were extremely, extremely strict here um, in China, here in Guangzhou, China. So um, we were we were extremely discouraged to go outside. Like they told us, just stay at your houses, stay at your houses, stay in your apartments and just don't go outside. And um, basically what we did was we ordered um, stuff to our house every day and we didn't even have to go grocery shopping because um, the distribution system here in uh, China is pretty sophisticated. So we basically just order online and they delivered stuff to our houses. And I swear there was at one point in which I stayed in my house for a full like 60 days without leaving it. Like that was um, how serious the government made it wow. at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Wow. So I guess that kind of contributed to why um, the pandemic the situation with the pandemic was significantly ameliorated in my city by around April, um, in which there were, what, like one or two cases in the entire city with around 30 million people. So after April, they started relaxing on these restrictions and telling us that, yes, you can go out, but you got to wear a mask. And um, if you don't wear a mask, you're not allowed in a lot of places. Like even now in like 2021, in which there has been like, what, zero cases in the past seven months or so, they're telling us you have to wear a mask or else um, you're not gonna be allowed into the mall, nor um, a lot of gyms, nor a lot of public places. Of course, once you're in there though, like they don't really care that much anymore because just like the risk of not wearing a mask here right now is significantly smaller than it was around seven months ago, around seven to eight months ago, because there just haven't been like many cases so far. So basically, um, my life has quite reverted back to normal, except the bad thing about all of this is that a lot of my friends tried to escape, escape China um, at the beginning of the pandemic for countries like the US and the Korea, hoping that they would have more freedom because you know China was terrible at that time. And there were like, what, thousands, hundreds of thousands of cases at that time. So they fled um, our city for other places. And now they're basically trapped in those other places where the COVID situation is worse, and I'm not able to see them for an extremely long time. So I'm basically confined to Zoom meetings with all my friends. And there are like only like five or six people left um, in the city that I'm in right now that I talk to because I've always gone to an international school with a lot of international students. And um, those people have all left my city. And that's quite sad. If they had stayed here, I think they would have had more freedom, I'd say, for the past eight months or so. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that's my experience. Yeah. No, it's it's uh it's good at least that you're starting to see some sense of you know normalcy uh, again uh, in places like the U.S. where we seem to be far from it. Um, so fingers crossed things go well in the next few months um, in terms of vaccines and and whatnot.
to kind of make the situation a little bit better. Um, yeah, but definitely. Yeah, and, and I think we've noticed uh, kind of a tiny bit of uh, like return to normalcy and in and, and other places as well. Um, one of my interviewees from Canada uh, was explained to me that uh, British Columbia, um, they, they have, uh, he told me that they have COVID mostly under control um, where consumers can dine in at, at restaurants and most people on the streets uh, would wear masks still. Um, and so that seems like, you know, dining in at least seems like a little uh, better than the, better than how the U.S. is going right now in many places. Um, Ontario, on the other hand, um, he told me has a really fast growth rate of COVID cases and it was put into a state of emergency where most of the stores were shut down completely. Um, and so there, I guess uh, we can draw similarities to the U.S. Uh, where, um, you know, I guess the COVID situation itself is, is quite bad, but the, uh, the, you know, the total cases obviously are much, much less than the U.S. has um, in Canada. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I remember um i i believe it was a few months after the um shutdown something um places started opening up in the u.s again and then like things kind of started getting back to normal even though cases haven't exactly gone down enough but um yeah as you see right now like since the fall cases has been have been going up again so um how do you think the way countries handle this um kind of like affects like conditions right now so I kind of talked about this um, during my little anecdote about my experiences in Guangzhou, China already. So here in China, at least at the very beginning of the pandemic, the government, well, not the very beginning, but like once it became news that um, the coronavirus would be rife and widespread across the entire country, um, the government handled it in a very swift manner. And that means that, as I said, I was basically in my own house for like 60 days or so because they strongly discouraged anyone to be on the streets. And once I was out, like the whole city was basically a ghost town. And you must know our city has 30 million inhabitants. So it's like an extremely densely populated city. And when you went on the streets in the city center, it was a ghost town. And that's just how serious um, the government took it. So I guess... In my opinion, that kind of contributed to um, to um, the kind of you know fast recovery from COVID, relatively fast recovery from COVID that um, my city has experienced. Yeah, definitely. Like even right now, um, even though cases are going up here in the U.S., I I noticed as I was driving down to L.A. with my family like the other day or so. Like there were still like a bunch of cars on the highway. And as many people from California know, like um, LA traffic is really bad, but yeah, there are still cars. The traffic wasn't that bad though. And even here, um, I'm currently at um, um, a resort-ish kind of like place. And like, we noticed there are still people here like on vacation kind of, even though, even though we're all staying in. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I'm actually uh, currently based in uh, around Chicago. Um, and I've heard a lot of stories uh, about here specifically with uh, people kind of going out <laughs> and not wearing masks. Um, so even though like formally, like there are lots of like mask policies in place and stuff, um, it seems like a lot of people here just aren't, aren't listening or are not willing to. Um, and I think that's a lot of the reason 
um, why the situation is not improving or not even on its way to improving yet. Um, and so I think that like for the US uh, specifically, we can like push out policies, but, but the, the responsibility is also on the people to, to kind of listen to those things. Um, you know, wear a mask, uh, be responsible um, if you have to go out. Um, and if you don't have to go out, just stay in. Um, and I think a lot of people um, are not understanding that at the moment. And so I think there's a little bit of a, uh, a change of mindset uh, that needs to be in place before the situation can realistically start improving. Um, and hopefully once, once that change of mindset is in place, um, we can, we can kind of see the U S on its way to, 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 um, to the condition of places like, like Taiwan and New Zealand, um, that are doing really, really well right now, uh, in terms of COVID. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember like right after the, um, stay at home order started, people like started actually protesting um, like about it and, like people organize protests in like basically every big city for like anti-quarantine protests. And I know that there are also anti-mask protests. So a lot of my classmates were posting stuff on like social media, like Instagram about how important it is to wear a mask. So definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've actually, um, in the past few days, I talked to a friend of mine um, in Virginia and um, basically she told me about how in the US, like, I mean, it depends on the government structure, right? And like um, the regulations the government can or cannot make. So basically she told me that in the US, if it's public property, they cannot really mandate that you wear a mask. That's what she said to me. I'm not really sure if it's true as an outsider um, in this conversation about COVID in the US, but that's just what she told me. She's like, if you're in a public place, like for example, on the Metro, the government technically cannot mandate that you have to wear a mask. So yeah, that's just an interesting point that I wanted to know. Um, I remember soon after I got, um, I got sent home due to this pandemic, I actually interviewed a professor at Kellogg about um, whether, um, what the most effective method for the government um, was and um, yeah, the professor basically said a shut, like a government, like not government shutdown, but like basically having everyone stay at home was the most um, effective way to help like going back to normalcy because um, if the, like if people didn't stay at home, they would get sick and then there would be tons of sick people out there. People naturally wouldn't want to go out anyway because they're afraid of getting sick and like they wouldn't really want to go to work either. So um, either way, people will stay home eventually. So yeah, essentially um, getting everything back to normal um, would require, um, I guess, just like sucking up the big losses at first. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's um, essentially, I believe, what the Chinese government kind of did at the beginning of um, the pandemic in around uh, the beginning of 2020. But I guess like the government structure is kind of different, I would say, you know, like in the US, I don't know, do the people actually listen to the government that much? And like how much, how much power does the government hold over the people? And like how much power do they have to make regulations that are against the interests of um, some people? I don't know what that is. You guys can yeah. perhaps give me some insight into that. No, yeah, that's exactly why I was, I was discussing that 
there needs to be like a significant um, and kind of large scale change in mindset uh, for people that don't like think already that COVID is, is an actual problem. Um, it's, it's kind of uh, disheartening, honestly, to see uh, people not understand uh, the implications of COVID, even if it doesn't have like completely direct health related implications on them, which it does. I mean, like COVID uh, will, will, ha will give you health problems. Um, you, you, you may end up being asymptomatic, but there are lots of people out there um, that are of old age with underlying health conditions um, where, where COVID is like a, a true scare for them. Um, you know, it's a life-threatening thing. Um, and so I think there needs to be some sort of realization that, um, you know, your actions are not, you know, solely for yourself. It's for, for some sense of greater good. Um, and and while, while we're still on the topic of kind of how different countries handled it, I was talking um, with one of my interviewees from New Zealand, actually. Um, and based on what he said, based on what I understand, New Zealand went through like a really early lockdown, um, kind of like what you were saying, Jason. Um, and I, I mean, they're, they're in a great state right now in regards to COVID and they're really handling it uh, well. What my friend told me was that most of his other New Zealand based friends are all doing, you know, internships and research in New Zealand uh, all over the place. Um, and he's um, pretty grateful for how New Zealand has handled the situation because he's able to catch up with a lot of his old friends. Um, and a lot of his old friends that also studied abroad like he did, um, like in the UK or the US, for example, are also now back in New Zealand. Um, but he's also, um, you know, understandably very sad that the US hasn't handled it um, how it should have, in his opinion, which I also, I also share that opinion that the US has not handled this how it should have. Um, uh, so he's really kind of uh, disheartened that the he's not able to see his his northwestern friends, um, given that the college experience in America is so unique and diverse. Um, and so yeah, uh, he's actually I actually have an interesting story about him. Um, so because of the pandemic, uh, he's actually taken it upon himself to to start a business. Um, oh and, really? Yeah yeah. Um, so you know how like uh, kind of most schools went over to Zoom and virtual other forms of virtual learning, uh, like Google Meet, Zoom, all of that stuff. Um, so he, he decided that it was a great opportunity to get himself in the, in the online learning, uh, you know, business, uh, online, online learning industry, because it's still in its like really early stages. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have ever seen this kind of growth in like the online learning industry had it not been for this pandemic kind of forcing the world to adapt to it. Um, so he actually, uh, yeah, he, he used the opportunity to enter a currently very lucrative market, it seems, uh, for online education, the online education sector. Um, and he feels really fortunate because um, the pandemic has given him that opportunity, that platform to, to expand his interest and get him involved in, 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 this, in this sector. Um, but, but being in New Zealand hasn't really affected his old lifestyle that much uh, currently because it, it's all good now there. Um, you know, people are able to do what they need to do, do what they want to do. Um, it's very much different from, from how other countries handled it and, and the effects that of how other countries have handled it into the current state that these, those countries are in. I think one big thing that contributes to the reason why a lot of people here in the U.S. don't really believe that COVID is something serious or that like they shouldn't wear masks is, be, is because of the amount of misinformation on the media. Like these days, you can find tons of like really crazy um obviously like untrue things um on the media so some people 
see that and they believe they choose to believe that over um act like verified sources so yeah there's that and also the fact that um the us was founded on principles of freedom and um just like not having the government control them but in situations like this i do believe that um the government like does need to like um use some power to get people to do things like so basically for the good of everyone yeah yeah i i agree and i think um what you were saying about about kind of people's reluctance to to follow through with kind of you know uh limiting themselves in terms of the activities they do uh, during a pandemic i think that that also falls on the people uh they need to realize that thinking that way is like a really short term way of thinking um like if you can't accept that you need to to you know kind of do less things now to be able to do normal things later you're going to be stuck in the same position for a long time um and that's not good for anyone uh, especially like i was saying before with people um that that are in life threatening situations because because of covid yeah there's definitely a trade off there and um i'd say that from my experience Um, in China here, there's a lot of people who think the same way as um, some of the U.S. people do think. Like you know, um, that wearing masks, it's like redundant. It's um, not useful. Like at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic, at least people were like, "Why should we stay home? Why?" But like the difference, in my opinion, is that the government has much more authority in China than.、Um, Than the U.S. government has in the U.S. So, like most people, when they hear the government say something, they just really listen to it. Like they listen to it, they follow the rules, and even though they might disagree, they still follow the rules. And that's、um, really what it is. It's not like their mindsets are, you know, like for the greater good and you know, like trying to help the entire public recover from the situation. That's not really it. But like when the government says something, people usually. Just do it because,、um, in my opinion, most people tend、uh, to, you know, trust the government on health measures. Which I'm not sure if it's a good idea or not. But in terms of COVID, it was, I believe, a good idea、um, at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because, as I said before, there are a lot of like anti-mask and anti-quarantine、yeah. protests in all. Definitely,、that. even in China, like they're not protesting, but like a lot of people think that way, especially like, you know.、Um, You know, in different sectors of、um, the city. For example, those people who lived in the 1970s when China was still like extremely, extremely poor and all that. They're like, it's just, it's just a virus. Like, it it can only kill like what less than one percent of its people. Like, why does it matter? You know, there are people of different mindsets, but overall, they still know to listen to the government, and、um, that's just kind of ingrained in. The mindset of, I guess, most Chinese inhabitants、um, in our city. Yeah. Yeah, I think the U.S. government does have emergency powers to use in cases like this, but even then, like a lot of people、um, would still like go out and protest or that wouldn't listen. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's probably what would happen、um, if like things like that were exercised more than they already are right now.、Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, you mentioned that you had、um, some friends that you, you discussed with、um, that were from other countries.、Um, how how have they responded to this, and what were their experiences like? Well, they're right now showing <laughs> quite a bit of regret for、um, leaving China at the beginning of the pandemic.、Um, so, for example, they're 
I have a friend called Gabriel. His Korean name is Jungmin, and um, he's currently in Seoul, but um, he's been living in Guangzhou, my city in China, for the past four years or so until he moved to Seoul at the beginning of the pandemic to supposedly escape COVID and uh, to live kind of a freer life before you know China was shut down and all that, and um, basically kind of blocked its borders off um, for all countries. So. He's just regretting it a lot because if he had stayed in Guangzhou right now, he would be able to go to the gym. He would be able to, you know, go to the mall. He would be able to kind of hang out with us. And he's even going to university in um, Hong Kong. There's a university called the University of Hong Kong, and um, he's going there. So if he was here in China instead, he would be able to meet a lot of his friends in uh, his new university as well, as opposed to be in Korea. There. Um, he basically has to stay home kind of 24-7 and they can't gather in groups of more than like two or three people as well right now. So his experience is, I guess, one of regret. He even missed our graduation ceremony because he left early. Um, so that was just really sad for him. And um, yeah, like I really wish he was here, but he's not. And um, I don't think I'll see him for a long time given the current uh, deteriorating situation of the coronavirus in uh, Korea. And we're seeing these uh, deteriorating situations in, in a lot of places, um, but something that seems uh, a little bit hopeful, at least, um, is the recent um, news on vaccines and whatnot. Um, in the U.S., we've actually started rolling out vaccines. Um, you know, on the other side of that coin, there are people, lots of people, actually, that are anti-vaccination, um, completely against getting the vaccine when it's available to them, which... Um, which I wanted to know, uh, do you guys have any perspectives on that? Um, I actually wrote a brief, uh, like for the Daily Northwestern, which yeah, I also write for, um, about like the vaccines. And I know a lot of people have doubts about the vaccines just because of like the speed at which it was developed. But um, according to like what, what the professors said, um, the vaccine is still FDA, FDA approved and still went through all those checks. So like, yeah, I know a lot of people are like hesitant about it, but um, it should be safe. Yeah, so my perspective has been uh, kind of different and also the people around me's perspectives have been different. So like um, for the Chinese students going to Northwestern, um, most people don't, aren't gonna go to Northwestern in January. Like they don't want to go to Northwestern in January because, you know, like the U.S. is um, pretty much, you know, in a worse situation than China right now. So they're not going. And um, for most people, they want to kind of wait until the vaccine is uh, used more commonly across the country to see um, if there are negative effects. Because in China, if we like if we don't take the vaccine, it's the it's it's not like very significant whether or not we um, have the vaccine injected into us because um, there are basically not that many cases here, like at least where I live. So we're waiting to see um, the side effects of the vaccine and whether or not um, it's uh, truly reliable until um, we make a decision about that. That's like the general consensus amongst us, yeah. No, I've actually interviewed a couple of people that have gotten vaccinated um, already. Um, so I, I know there's a lot of, um, discussion these days as vaccine rollout um, has started about kind of the side effects of vaccines um, and whatnot. Um, I've, I've heard from these two sources that um, there are 
side effects, um, but they're pretty, they, they, they would consider it pretty similar to the uh, flu vaccine um, in that there, you know, there's possibility of, of getting a few side effects, um, maybe some more side effects than the flu vaccine. Um, but all in all, it's been, um, they would say, a, a, a positive experience um, in terms of getting vaccinated in general with the coronavirus vaccine. Um, now it's in doses, so so I believe they they still have to get their second doses. Um, but that was their experience based on the first dose um, of the vaccination that they received. Yeah, about the side effects. Yeah, like that's definitely understandable why. Um, yeah, these students like still want to see the side effects because um, we still don't know how like what the vaccine could possibly do to maybe people with like autoimmune disorders or like children or like pregnant women and all that. Uh, and, and people with allergies. I've seen a couple of uh, news articles um, about harsh side effects um, from people with allergies in response to, the, to, to one of the COVID vaccines. Yeah, but either way, I don't think at least the US wouldn't be able, likely won't be able to um, like mandate everyone to like, um, to like get vaccinated. Even though I think, um, yeah, based on the brief that I wrote, um, the constitution does allow like local and like state governments to possibly mandate it, but just not national. Yeah, um, and even if the possibility is there, it seems very unlikely that that a lot of places, given you know regional politics, um, would be even willing, even uh, even to talk about being willing to to do something uh, such as mandating a vaccination. Now, aside from vaccinations, um, also there's there's also a big talk on on testing uh, and testing protocols and different kinds of tests. Uh, personally, um, as a as a student, um, I have to get tested, um, which is mandated by by the university, um, and so I think that's been a very helpful thing, um, not only for myself, just to know that that I can have a little bit of peace of mind. Um, but also for the university, definitely in terms of contact tracing to kind of, uh, you know, alleviate any of the any of the consequences of one person getting COVID because they can contact trace really well if they if they have a record of everything. And so I think I think that's been a really positive uh, experience in terms of testing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I was reading. Well, since I served as one of the assistant campus editors for the daily um, last quarter, um, I know I've read about a bunch of articles about like testing around campus at least, and they have a bunch of testing centers around and like people have to go around, like go to them really often to get tested and all that. It's become kind of like normal routine for students on campus. Yeah, yeah. And, and my experience is, uh, my experience for testing, I guess, is only um, in terms of uh, th this current quarter. Um, but yeah, that sounds pretty consistent with what I've heard from, from my peers um, that were on campus uh, last quarter. Um, and so something else uh, I've heard from my peers at other universities, um, given that they were all sent home um, you know, for break and whatnot, uh, were, were uh, lots of talk around exit tests, uh, meaning that as, as they were leaving university, they wanted to have the peace of mind that they weren't bringing COVID homes to their families and loved ones. Um, uh, it's surprisingly um, 
I'm not sure really how many universities uh, mandate something like that and how well they can control it, especially with students um, not living exactly on campus, um, whether they even afforded the ability to, to test and, and have the peace of mind that they're not bringing COVID home to their loved ones. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, from what I've heard, I know some people like, um, yeah, what even like right after we were like right when we were sent home because of COVID, a lot of students were afraid of giving their parents COVID. So they when they went home, they made sure to like be careful and like try to socially distance themselves from like their family members as much as possible. Yeah, definitely. So are you both returning to campus um, in a couple of days or? Um, I'm staying home for the winter quarter, but I believe most people I know who um, were planning on returning to campus are required to come like, I think a week earlier, but like, yeah, they've already come like back mostly like by now. Yeah, I'm near campus and the, the wellness period um, has actually already started. And I think the first day that students are in Evanston, at least they're required to be tested from my understanding of it. So I've been tested um, and, and uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll, we'll have to get another test as soon as uh, the results from this one come in, I believe. Um, yeah, and, and something that, that I kind of uh, noticed also during, during this time has been the uh, you know, sociological implications in their relation to, to COVID. Um, and so we were discussing kind of uh, students that might not have access to exit tests and, and testing in general um, if they're, they're not living um, on university housing, for example, um, at different universities. Um, and I was kind of wondering myself, like, what would it look like for, for students from, you know, many diverse backgrounds? Um, how, would it, how would it play out differently if they were to bring COVID home to their families? Um, I've, I've read an article uh, speaking of, of low-income households and, and how it can kind of, you know, ravage a household um, if the, the main um, income source in the family had, had gotten COVID, um, the, much of the work um, might not be, uh, you know, cut out for, for remote work. Um, so it can really, it can really devastate um, many households depending on, on, on uh, you know, kind of their socioeconomic situations. Um, and this is, this is also a product of, of uh, we can see we can see this like kind of inequity um, not only in, in how COVID affects them but also as a product of healthcare um, and um, you know not equal access to healthcare amongst different uh, people of different backgrounds um, in terms of region ethnicity many things. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually um, have interviewed a, few, a couple of researchers for um, articles I wrote for the Daily about like these kinds of studies. For example, one of them was about how the, this pandemic has um, just exacerbated like food insecurity, for example, because you know, schools are closed down. So like children who would have been on free lunch, like their parents have to like make them lunch at home. And um, just the overall income, income gaps of like as well, because usually um, higher paying jobs are able to be moved online while other jobs such um, other like blue collar jobs that usually pay less, such as like, for example, working at like a restaurant and all that, like in-person jobs, like those ones cannot be moved online. So that's definitely been an issue. Yeah. and. Um... 
that one of my peers, I was actually discussing about, uh, about this scenario with one of my peers. Um, and they, they kind of posed me with an interesting question that I, I'd like to ask uh, both of you. Um, so let's say you have, um, you know, a, a single parent household, for example, um, and, and the schools close down. Um, so in, in this single income household, um, is, is the parent going to be able to afford someone to look after their child since they won't be, they won't be at school while they're off to work or while they have to take off from work to look after their child? Uh, it seems like kind of a lose-lose situation. I wanna know what you two think about that. Yeah, definitely. Actually, um, another article I wrote for The Daily was about how people who work in labs, laboratory science sciences and also um, female um, scientists, especially ones with children, um, like due to the pan after the pandemic, they were found to kind of like have spent less time on their research. And um, I know some possible factors is because, um, yeah, daycares are closed and they can't really get someone to hire. They can't hire someone to take care of their children. And, you know, laboratory scientists like chemistry and biology, like they have to do it in person. So yeah, there's that too. Given the numerous challenges posed by the pandemic, I really do hope that this situation will ameliorate very soon, especially in countries like the United States where the coronavirus is still an extremely grave and serious issue. In my humble opinion, the pandemic COVID-19 has been the worst thing to happen to human beings since probably World War II back in the 1940s. It's been something that's affected us so deeply that's made us lose hundreds of thousands of lives that's made us I think it's even in the millions of lives right instead of millions of lives yeah and um, so many people infected affecting us for more than a year when we thought at the very beginning when the pandemic broke out in Wuhan that it would le last less than like two months it's truly been a game changer in our lives and um, it's truly been a terrible experience for everyone involved yeah, an absolutely terrible experience, I agree. Um, and it's also an evolving situation. Uh, we're kind of seeing things unfold in front of us. Um, you know, as we speak, um, there are, you know, advancements, there are more people getting cases in certain places. Uh, there, there's a little bit of everything everywhere of how, in terms of how the situation is evolving. Um, I, want, I wanted to just say that, uh, you know, our, our experiences and perspectives um, you know, are limited given that we're all from the same age group, political ideology, and we're all, you know, university students, and, and most of the people we interviewed are also university students. Um, but I think we can, uh, it's still, you know, fair to discuss kind of uh, what we discuss in our perspectives and our, in our peers' perspectives and interviewees' perspectives on, on how COVID um, and their experiences with COVID have affected, a lot, have affected their lives and, and their perspectives on, on the whole pandemic situation. Uh, definitely. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Mm -hmm.